Camera. Lights. The, cam- the camera dude is happy. He's dabbed up. We took care of our people before we started. You know what I'm saying? You know how we do here at Athletic. Athletic Podcast. Bongs up. Athletic. Folks, if you haven't uh, got your daily dose and dab, go ahead and get it in. Um, because you might need it to pay attention. Focus. Focus on the most needed podcast in the world. So, Gino, are you a daily user of the plant known as hemp, cannabis, marijuana, THC, Mary Jane? Yo. Huh. I consume cannabis. Yeah, dang. On the daily, taking dabs right now as we speak. There it is. But wait, 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 wait. Let me let me take a step back here, co-host. Sure. Gino, Mark, Deepasquale. And and let's start with the name. <laughs> Gino, Mark, what, what does people call you? Man, people call me Mark or Gino. They're confused. Like I am. Is it a daily? Is it a bipolar I thing? wasn't born with a middle name. And I lied to a white priest down in Florida. Liar. Irish dude. Yeah. Told him that, no disrespect to my Caucasian brothers and sisters, love everyone. But man, did I lie to them and told them Gino meant John. <laughs> Fucking lying. Yeah, so Gino came into fruition because I wanted that name and I got it by way of lying to a priest. Well, I like the name Gino. It fits your personality. Yeah. It was a joke in the Marine Corps when they found out what it was. So they kind of mocked me out. It didn't start out as a good thing. Too bad. Yeah, you know. So you said what, Marine? Is that what you are, sir? That's what they say. How many years? Too many. Is that an active duty? Uh, about 13 years. 15 years total before I was retired. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, geez, how much time you got? We have all day, baby. Oh, are you interviewing me, huh? Here we are, the folks. Co-host. This is the Hemphlotic Podcast coming out of Rochester, New York. My name is Brian Lane, and as you've just heard, Gino DiPasquale is my partner. We are here to help everyone understand this disturbed plant that we feel like is disturbed. Yeah, I feel bad for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like he's been mistreated many, many years. He or she? Oh, you're probably right. We have to give give the Mary Jane the respect. I mean, no disrespect to the male plant and its pollinating effects and genetic effects, because we love that plant. But uh, except really, when we grow, <laughs> we pull it away from the females, don't we? And well, I mean, the keep female that sucker isolated. Well, I mean, the female doesn't need males in, in general, <laughs> unlike shh, us. Shh, 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 shh. Let's keep that a secret. Oh, it's not a secret. We share here. We're about sharing. That's what we're here for, folks. And taking bong rips of dabs. Hit it. You know, folks, you may think it's a sound bite, but we really are taking bong rips. So here we are, folks. The idea of the Hempletic Podcast is definitely to help educate people through our experiences. My gentleman here, Mr. DeBasqual, is the co-chairman, founder, absolute energy of the Veterans Collective Cannabis Foundation, Inc. Veterans Cannabis Collective Foundation, Incorporated. Yes, sir. Would you say VCCF, Inc.? It sounds a lot more simple. What's that website so people can check it out to validate you? VCCF.info. And what's the latest news with you? I think we have some exciting news going on, if I'm not mistaken, maybe like tomorrow? What's going on tomorrow? I think it's something a little exciting. 
Can you elaborate for, for the folks? I think that uh, part of the VCCF that uh, my very modest co-host here is is doesn't want to allude to. I don't know why because he is never ever this shy. Oh, I'm not shy. This weekend, Mister Mister Squally will be harvesting his first sure it's this acre. Weekend, it's not this weekend. Oh, it's this weekend, baby. No, it's not. No, maybe it is this weekend. Oh, you forgot already? No, I was just getting my weekends messed up because we have a window. But that's yes, r- that's you're, right. You're What's going to happen? So describe tomorrow morning what we be what will we be doing in the morning, Gino? So, as Brian has alluded to, we got a lot to talk about when it comes to VCCF. So, but um, <clears throat> tomorrow we'll be uh, starting our first annual VCCF's first annual hemp harvest party, hemp harvest fest. We just call it hemp harvest festa. Wait, hemp? Like, what's hemp? Cannabis hemp, baby. You know, that cannabis plant. So is that something you make clothes out of, or is well, that... Well, can- cannabis, cannabis comes in, comes in many, different, uh, uh, many different uses, as, as everyone knows. And <clears throat> to really generalize it, <clears throat> excuse me, our particular cultivar is a, a uh, hemp cultivar that's for grain and seed and seed oil. So we're going for our flowers want to be, we want them to be consumed with with a bunch of seeds because we're, we're grain farmers so you have grain fiber and flour whether it's 0.3 percent thc or less for your cannabis hemp cultivars or above 0.3 percent doesn't matter it's all cannabis it does it's just what you're growing it for so if you're growing for fiber you want xyz cultivars because that's a fiber strain if you want a grain strain you'll have xyz strain for that and for your flower strains you have xyz strain for your flower strains it's only three kind, there's only three kinds of cultivation when it comes to cannabis. You can call it hemp for THC levels, and you can call it this and that, but at the end of the day, it's all cannabis, and you know, prohibition is not going to elude the truth of what uh, this plant's really about and what it, what it does. So, so, are you, so you're saying then you are actually growing legal hemp yes. in New York State right now? Yep, we're under DEA and state program that allows us to grow industrial cannabis, a.k.a. hemp, with uh, those standards of that 0.3% and under THC levels. Aren't you worried about the security of of your crop? I'm worried about the, I'm worried about the, the lack of security of, of our government from knowing that putting THC limitations on a plant that can't kill you. I'm more concerned about people that prohibit a plant that was designed and that is designed and that runs all of your body's systems and functions called the endocannabinoid system that, that, that works at five endogenous, cannabinoids we call endocannabinoids so i'm concerned about people that don't know about that but then talk about how much money they want to make off legalization amen brother so so for the record the vcc inc doesn't have uh excuse me i I misspoke does have a legal yeah we're licensed to grow and uh, cultivate and process so tomorrow we uh having our our party our first annual party we have folks coming in from Austin, Texas. Big shout out to Shahid Shabazz, former major in the United States Marine Corps. How about that for an applause? Big shout out to former major Shahid Shabazz. He'll be here on the 15th, 16th, and 17th. He'll be staying out here in Rochester, New York. Say something. So for those of you who don't know, there's a lot of confusion out there about the definition of plants, what comes out of plants, CBD, THC. So, so I'm going to go to the basics here for us all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recite the definition of hemp because I love how Gina reacts to definitions of stuff. So the definition of hemp in dictionary.com, also called Indian hemp, marijuana, 
a tall, coarse plant, cannabis sativa, that is native to Asia but naturalized or cultivated in many parts of the world and is the source of a valuable fiber as well as drugs such as marijuana and hashish. Compare cannabis. The tough fiber of this plant used for making rope, coarse fabric, etc. Number three, any of various plants resembling hemp. Are you a computer or something? Oh, I fucking can sound like a, a damn computer. Yeah, like I said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, cannabis is grown for fiber, grain, and flour. If you want your flowers to be 0.3% THC or less, you can get hemp cultivars for that. And you can smoke that cannabis or vape that cannabis and use those products. If you want to use higher THC cannabis, you can use other cultivars, but they're all going to go back to the, the basics, which is called flour, grain, and fiber. So. So the word marijuana, that's a discriminant word that it's like saying the N word, the W word, the H word, so many different discriminant words that you keep saying. So, so she gets mad if she hears that word around her? Not she, it's just a, it's just a bad word to use. In general, when we're talking about referencing the plant. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we don't call apples oranges, right? So the definition of marijuana dictionary.com is number one, hemp. So marijuana is hemp. Hemp is marijuana. Well, I mean, those are just like names that we classify things with. No, it's perfectly fine to call things hemp. As a matter of fact, cannabis hemp. As a matter of fact, some people call high THC, they still call it hemp. I have no problem with that, but... It but, is technically hemp. Well, it's not. No, well, it's not technically hemp. Okay. That's, that's wrong. It's technically cannabis. Yeah. Hemp is a made-up name. There is no genotype of hemp. There's just cannabis. Um, hemp is a name that we created so that we can commoditize off that... that uh, that fiber and the grain, those those higher CBD resins and different cannabinoid profiles that we can bring out. At the end of the day, the government has you know many patents. People like to put numbers on things. I don't want to sit here and talk about twenty this or thirty that. It's it's very much a lot. Um, and so they outlawed all production and and growing of of cannabis, include hemp cultivars because they know it's the same thing. Because you can get medicated from 03 percent cannabis. So if I'm growing cannabis hemp for resin on our farm, which we will be soon for resin, or even this farm, if we take this plant, these plants and we blast them with CO, not CO2 because it's terrible gas. We'll get to that in a minute. But if I were to blast it with butane, N-ban butane, the medical grade butane, and we'll talk about that as well, how butane is the best hydrocarbon to use if you're going to use a gas because it's, it's a nonpolar gas. Whereas CO2 is a semipolar gas. It's not no bueno. So, so wait a minute, wait a minute. So you were a Marine for 14 what? years? Say what? And then you just have a four, knowledge Just of, for 14 years? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to put all this in my head. Li- this seems... Whole you, life. You're already blowing me away, sir. Like America! So today, What's that? I finally can admit today, no, go ahead. everybody. What were you going to say? You're going with that. No, I, no I'm, now it's my turn. Well, it can always be your turn. I, I just okay. didn't know if it was... No, it's good. So I was. Uh, it's no, time it's for good. Me. It's good. <laughs> Ooh, it's really good, man. It's like really good. He was like, "It's good." Tell us how good it is. So today's feeling. a revolution day. It is. Today's a big day. Big round of applause for uh, O'Brien. Yeah, let's go. Today's the day right I have left corporate America officially. See ya, corporate, and go with another corporate. Yeah, corporate, so corporate bitches. Fun, fun, fun corporate. So I have just ended an 18-year postal career That's today. So cool. Resignation. Oh, man. They're going to be missing out on you, brother. That's so funny. I That's everybody's office, reaction. Folks. Everybody's Oh, you're doing I, what? I fucking stole them from the post what? office. What are you going to do? 
what about your pension? What about benefits? I increased his cannabis levels and I got him on the team. <laughs> so now that that's officially happened, I can make an announcement to the world. Not that any of my family and friends don't already know this ingrained in them. Whatever. But I have been a user of cannabis for a long, long time, and it's helped me be a very good. Well, well isn't everyone? Well, I hope. A use, no, no, but isn't everyone just a user of cannabis on a daily basis, even if they don't consume the plant? Oh, they are, because they have an endocannabinoid system. Now, some people need the plant more than others. Let me tell you something. It's about uh, 90% people need it. So go ahead and uh, go to your neighborhood dispensary. Go ahead and pick you up a bag. Pick up some dabs. Slurp it up. Dab. Dab time. Dab time. <laughs> All right, Gino. So back eat, to you. How mangoes. do you go from a Marine to knowing about cannabis? Oh, man. It saved, that, it's that, literally that saved my life because I was so much of a druggie. Like most of us are while we're fighting the war. Like, if you, <clears throat> for, all, for all the combat veterans out there, and I can't, I don't want to totally generalize, but I, I kind of got to generalize for, for, the, for some of the folks that were actually had a combat MOS. Majority of us on the front lines, I hate to use that kind of terminology, but it's the truth. Um, most of those operators were on drugs. And it's just a fact. What I mean by that is like we were taking some kind of benzo to go to sleep, some kind of upper to stay awake, you know, even the, um, the rippets, big shout out to rippet keeping me alive out there in Iraq. Those things are dangerous. Do you know what a rippet is? I do not know. I thought you said rippet. Yeah. Rippet. It's a freaking one of those energy drinks. Oh, that shit's okay. Crack. No, yeah, that shit's, I don't. That's just a drug. Bro. So it's like, uh, you know, Mountain Dew. It's, it's no, 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 no. It's way more serious than that. As a matter of fact, it's illegal in some places in the States. Because it has too much of that shit in it. So you're saying this was common in the military? Oh, and I'm, and that, I'm just talking, that's over-the-counter shit. We're, we're, there's people doing all kinds of drugs to get by, bro. You got to understand what we're doing over there. So anyways, some of us take that habit um, to the next level when they get out or whatever, and some people don't. And for me, I kind of found myself in a bad place where taking all these drugs from the, from the doctors that you know diagnosed me with this and that and being the... The, uh, the test test subject for the government found myself on 17 different medications between active duty and post-active duty. How many? About 17 different medications. So you had in front of you, in a daily basis, 17 Oh pills. yeah, my son, my stepson, he, I hate to say stepson, but my son, raised, since he was two and a half, big shout out to Sean. He, he was like against cannabis until the day he saw the VA bag fucking show up. He was visiting, and he's like, what's that, Dad? I'm like... The drugs, baby, they come in the mail, son. I ain't got to go down to the VA. Big old bag, too. I'm talking a big old bag, bro. Post office. Big shout out. So I went from, you know, using all those different drugs. And at the time, well, I guess we can talk about where I was at post-Marine here in a little bit when I had my coming out of the closet kind of story. Um... And I'll more I'll digress more on that later, but we're not going to do that right now. Maybe later on in the podcast. But seventeen different medications, and then it took me about about four years of cannabis therapy, five years before I came totally clean. And now it's been about nine years now. Nothing but cannabis, bitches. But before that, you were a user of cannabis um, before you went in. Oh yeah, much like most humans that that use cannabis, whether it was in high school or <clears throat> experimenting, da-da-da. I mean, it was a part of my culture. I would definitely <clears throat> use cannabis, but 
when you're a kid, you don't know about cannabis and its health benefits. <clears throat> so once I started to learn in college at Roberts Wesleyan College, big shout out to Roberts. Roberts Wesleyan College is in Rochester, New York, for everybody who doesn't know it. 2013 alumni, big shout out to them. Got my bullshit degree from them. Um, my undergrad there. Um, during my time there, I was weaning off all these different medications. And in my last, my last deployment, I dumped down the last bit of pills down the drain and I was totally cannabis at that point. So you're saying when you came back from your last deployment, that's when you yeah, shut it not down. Not from the Marine Corps though. What do you mean not from the Marine Corps? Like I said, I th we're going we're gonna to go on this conversation. We're going to go back to that in a minute because you're probing right now. That's my job. <clears throat> but so Ben, now I haven't even take aspirin or nothing. Like I don't use alcohol or tobacco or none of that shit. Just cannabis last nine years, almost nine years now. So you're saying nothing but nothing cannabis. But cannabis so aspirin. Advil. Nah, I don't need any of that. Wait. Don't need any of that shit. What? You mean you don't get a big bottle of ibuprofen to have nope. in your bathroom? After I come back running or doing whatever like most people do? Yeah. Because they're hurting. What? Nope. What do you do for all your pains? Hey, between between my plant-based diet the last five years and uh, my cannabis therapy, I'm doing pretty good at uh, my so-called age. So the Hemphletic Podcast out of Rochester, New York, but... I am born and raised in Rochester, New York. I am a Grease Arcadia Titan through and through. Shout out to Grease Arcadia Boo. Titans. But where's your origin, sir? Huh? How much time do you have? I heard it was the Vegas streets, someone said. I did end up graduating in Hilton, which is odd, because I'm a city kid from the 10th Ward. Big shout out to 10th Ward, Edgerton Park, Jones Park. Big motherfucking shout out to my Lexington Ave people. And for any hoopsters out there, Edgerton Park used to be a known place in Rochester, man. That was a hot <laughs> spot to play hoops back in the day. Yeah, especially if you went to Jefferson. My family went to Jefferson too. Big shout out to 34 school, 17, big shout out. We'll talk Rochester a lot. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I moved to Vegas as a kid. We were on the run from the U.S. Marshals. Who, my, what do you mean mom, we? Like you stole stuff? My mom's and I. We didn't steal shit. She was about, her people that she was with we're tied to the, to the mafia and he balanced $150,000 in checks in her name. Say something. Oh. So being an immigrant-minded person like her, like how a lot of folks are, big shout out to our Latino brothers and sisters out there. I know I'm going to get Brian all fucked up. Big shout out to our ancient Latino brothers and sisters, all those Sicilian Italians that think they're Caucasian. Here big we shout, go, Jay. Big, big shout out to you. Here we go, Jay. Um, <clears throat> the original Latins, big shout out to you. And all our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters too. Big shout out to all of them, Mexicans, all of them, and our Caucasian brothers and sisters. Anyways, because you know I, I got my little Caucasian brother right here. You know what I'm saying? And I love him. But yes, um, I am definitely the minority here. I went out to 18th Street. Well, I was on 21st Street first, and then and then moved to 18th Street. We were in the hood for like three, four years in Vegas. Over there in Vegas, yeah. And um, single mom just run the streets, man. Like hustling, hustling, bro. Like. Now, how old were you when you went to Vegas with her running for the marshals? How old were you? I was, I was eight, seven, eight years old. And I left there when she died when I was 11. So you were there three, four years? I was years. running shit, man. I had my own crew. We used to steal polo and flip it. What, what, what do you mean running a crew? You're eight, nine years old. I had, a crew, crew? Five, I had a crew at five years old. Would you have a bunch of babies on, in nah. strollers? No, 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 no. Absolutely not, dude. At, at nine years old, I started working at Tony's Pizza off the strip. Big shout out to downtown uh, Las Vegas. Big shout out to Fremont. Cause that's where I live, 18th Street in Fremont. If you know 18th Street and 21st Street, you know what I'm talking about right now. Big shout out to the 18. 
in the body over there, you know how it goes, um, especially back then, but um, in the 80s, because the mafia was deep there too, running the show. But we used to go in there and jack the machines and get all the quarters in the Mint Hotel and Pioneer Club and hit all those Circus Circus. We hit all those joints. No, we wouldn't define Any of my that. old you'd friends, go in, you'd go in there and bang little mini crowbars and like they were they were like kids. They didn't think that you know we'd be up to no good, but they had no cameras back then in 85, 86, 84. No cameras. So you were just jacking machines. So it started me doing it with my brother, and then I branched out because it was easy for me to like. I got a chocolate bar, like Snickers bar, and then I was like, damn, I can get that polo. Polo was like 20, 25 bucks and was up on the shelf at the time in grocery store, if you remember back in the 80s. They used to have that homeboy or homegirl get the key to open it up, but sometimes they'd leave it open because it was just so busy. Oh, you're People, talking Polo like the clone. Like the real bomb. Yeah. So I started, that's how I got into like business making, making money for the family. It was like flipping. I mean, I was making pizzas and like bread, selling it and shit. And like, any, you know, I was always good with food and like trying to fuck with the food. But, but I was, I was into like jacking the machines and the machines, we started to like make profit. We had a crew of like four or five kids, like no cap, like, like a real crew. Wait, so you'd go into a casino, break open a slot casinos, machine, grab the yeah. quarters and go. Yeah, because they have a place where they play video games in all those places. And we used to jack them and go, man. We never got caught. Big shout out. My brother got hit one time at the Showbo Hotel. He got cattle prodded with a motherfucking um, fucking cattle joint. Got his ass. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, they got him on his arm. Like, boop, boop. <laughs> I ran out with a fucking bowling ball, son. I was out. They don't have the Showboat Hotel. And no, people know what I'm talking about with the Showboat, with the yeah, fighting and the shit, the boxing yeah. matches and shit. I used to be all about that shit. I'm a Vegas kid. Then I moved back out to New York after my mom's died. She she basically died in the streets. Like last four or five months, I was like really up and hustling, like making money for like the house and stuff for like the last five, six months. And she only had walking pneumonia. She had emphysema. She would have made it through that for many years, possibly. But the walking pneumonia, which is the easiest pneumonia, she died of that within like four or five months. Her feet were all swollen and shit. I was yoking coffee and getting all kinds of food and shit. And people in my hood, we take care of each other. So we were all, and she was about to go to uh, the hospital that night. And it was the night of the next day was, was, was Easter. And I don't fuck with church, but I was about to go to church with my homie across the way, across the, the, um, the hall. And I went to get her. Uh, she said, I'm going to go to the hospital at 12 midnight. And we're like, bet. We all go to sleep. We had a one bedroom. I slept my mom until I was 11, 12 years old and having a bedroom. We all slept out in the, what we call like a family room, which really wasn't a family room, but it was like a couple couches in front of TV and didn't get up. I woke up to get a dollar from her, which a dollar was big shit in 87 for a kid as far as getting around like in the city and shit oh, and traveling. Yeah. So I went to get a dollar from her and she was dead in the chair. She looked peaceful as fuck though. So she died in her sleep. Yeah. It was one of the, like the most detrimental things, but it like, I was, we were about to move to East LA. So we were about to go from one hood body to another. <clears throat> so it just, you know. So what happened to you then? Was it, we you went to the, the streets my, my brother, my brother and my sister were there too. My sister was hanging out in like rich people's land and shit. Wait, wait, so you got siblings. You have siblings. Yeah, so I got a sister. Yeah. yeah, they came like a year later, but we went, we came over early. My mom's and I, because I was the baby and shit. Mm -hmm. I was, oh, so I was already the, hustling the baby before she three? got there. Yeah, what's funny is like, I put my, my big brother onto the hustle. And he took it obviously to like his own way and did his own thing. But I mean, we used to go into places and get like brand new sneakers and clothes and shit and like sell it. So we were like that kind of people, bro. Like yeah. survival though. Like not some like just trying to do it. We had shit, nothing. <clears throat> and then we, we went from the orphanage. My, my so-called father and his uh, wretched fucking wife picked me up, picked us up. Yep. So, wow, that's an incredible story. 
we came back to Rochester, New York, and then we were like in Rochester, like in the Greece area. Like, so I went to Athena for a hot minute, and then we moved back down to Florida and Orlando. I went to big shout out to fucking West Orange. Uh, I went to University High. I went to uh, Dr. Phillips. Big shout out to Dr. Phillips. That was my school. So I went to a bunch of high schools down there, and I still got some homies. Big shout out to Armando Perez and Ray Cruz, my people. I did a Dr. Phillips. But um, then I came back up here and went to Syracuse for a minute. Big shout out to JD. I went to JD High School. Sounds like you had what, 30 Henniger. school districts? Big shout out to Henniger. I got kicked out of JD and then went to Henniger because I was living in the city. They're like, we don't want city kids fucking lying about your address. I'm like, I'm trying to get an education, bitch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Scramble. You were scrambling the whole time. Hey, man. So then Latin you ended up back Af- in Rochester. Fucking Latin African Middle Easterns, bro. Like, they don't know how to handle us, son. You know what I'm saying? They put us in this weird demographics of other and shit, so we're, we're confused and they're confused. That's how I got into the body, oh, bro. If I, no, no disrespect, but if I was Brian Lane, I wouldn't have been living on 18th Street in Fremont. No way. Fuck no. I no lied way. to them, and then they come to find out like eight months in, they're like, why did you tell us? You're still a Latin dude. We love Italians and Sicilians. That, and plus, the mob back then was big, so the gang, fuck with me. Because back then, you had to fucking know a gang. You ran into gangs. And because I had my own crew like stealing and shit, they never fucked with me, son. <laughs> They didn't. They never tried to recruit me. I had my own thing going on. Big shout out to my motherfucking Vatos, bro. For real. Wow. Yeah. So right. yeah, I graduated Hilton in 94 eventually. All right. Big so shout out to the Arcadia Hillbillies. and Hilton. So he's a 94 Big shout out to those Hillbillies. Yeah, the cadets. Wow. It was a fucking culture shock, son. It's good for me, though. So Hilton is a little bit of rural Rochester versus the uh, barrio that he, that he was in. Yeah, and the 10th Ward, 34 school before that. So that's a little bit bit of our background of our scientist slash shooter. Where's the sound effect to say? It sounds like, is Jay there? Hello? Yeah, hello, Jay. Jay. Yo, yo, yo. We need you, brother. So we have on board today for the Hempletic Podcast, our wonderful producer. An engineer person. That's horrible. I can't even keep going with that. JJ. What up, y'all? What's up, brother? Jay Passamanti. Big shout out to my fucking brother. So here we'll refocus, folks. Refocus, refocus. Fact, fiction, or the jury is still out. Every week, I want to bring up a topic for everybody who is in the room. We are going to have a guest. We are going to have our co-host, and we are going to have our wonderful producer, Jay Passamonte. Love it. This week, I am just going to name a couple things from the past of the hemp plant, the forgotten history of the hemp plant. I'm going to pull out a couple facts maybe that generally people don't know about this wonderful plant that has been the central part of the growth of humankind on this planet. Facts. So, Gina, what is the most annoying stereotype of the marijuana plant? And I use that word specifically to I'm make you mad. I'm going to fucking kill you, bro. I'm going to always use the M word just to make him You're mad. so disrespectful. <laughs> he takes it personal. Mm, like it's mm, <laughs> I don't. I don't take it personal. I'm fucking with these mango, these organic mango slices right now. Um, honestly, the worst thing is thinking that you have it figured out. And you're having saying prove, this from the perspective you're saying no, this, you used to, to teach people about this. No, having to, having to prove to somebody something very like scientific. So in other words, if I told you that there was billions, multiple billions of cannabinoid CB1 and CB2 receptors, which work with this ligand system, this endocannabinoid system, that interacts with five of endogenous cannabinoids that we produce, that through every bone, tissue, hair, organ... There's, there's cannabinoid receptors. <clears throat> it's the master system 
controlling all body systems and functions. And it's totally non-toxic and it protects cells. And it's a neuroprotectant. So, and the reason why I can't kill you folks is because there's limited to little to zero of these CB1 and CB2 receptors on your medulla oblongata and your brainstem. Say something. So, that's why you can't die from using cannabis. But more importantly, the misinformation about the plan is, oh, you're trying to get high or, you know, everyone goes back to getting high or like, <clears throat> they don't realize that it's so much more, way more important than that. That's like 0.5%, like euphoria is, is not what a cannabis patient or someone that uses cannabis. Now, druggies, people like drugs. Maybe there's certain, maybe people like, to, they're looking for something in particular. But speaking for cannabis patients that use cannabis exclusively, like we have deficiencies and, and, you know, most of us are not, you know, we're just, we're, we're supplementing for a deficiency in our own endocannabinoid system. We don't quite have it figured out because we don't have science done in our body and our endocannabinoid system. But to say that we can't interact with a plant that runs all that, those bodies or all those physiological functions and interacts with the organs the way they do and everything, um, is hideous. So is there any to way... Say why we prohibit this from people. I mean, that's why they're doing it anyways, right? That's why they're doing it, because it's so important. That's right. And what what, what, what year, 1951? I mean, what, what year was no, it? No, they really? took it they out of the U.S. Pharmacopoeia in 1940. In 1941, it was taken out. So cannabis Pharma was legal. What? The U.S. Pharmacopoeia. What's a pharmacopoeia? Cannabis extracts were legal from doctors that were, by the way, I don't know about the time of the DEA, but... I'm assuming that the DA still had regulation over doctors and their scheduling. They have only like four Schedule One doctors. Maybe they have more or less at this point. I don't know. But during I was getting my thesis together, there was like four at the time when I did my research. <clears throat> and it's still ongoing. But, you know, the misinformation is, is that you could use cannabis and then go along with your day chomp chomping on fucking wings and pizza all day. Because there's only so much you're going to get out of that. It's like taking aspirin for your headache, but then you're not drinking water and you're eating, you know, sugar all day. Amen. So, so for those of you who don't know, the definition of pharmacopoeia, what it is, is a book published usually under the jurisdiction of the government and containing a list of mm -hmm. drugs, their formulas, Thank you. methods for making medicinal preparations, requirements, and tests for their strength and purity and other related information. And that was in there in 40 and 41, they took it out. It's a stock of drugs. So the origin of pharmacopoeia is 1615 to 1620, I'm sorry, 1615 to 1625, New Latin. Um, examples, uh, lots of examples of it. But basically, um, we will also look into some research to make sure we know, understand the years that we're talking about now. So we'll make sure to validate that. But there is definitely oh, no, a time in our history. Day is, that's, that's a solid date. Yeah, you can look that up. So my question is, what year did they, ha they used to have it on it, the in list? 1940, and brother. No, 1940. It's, not about, it's not about the list. It's like, that's like their book. Like, that's like the doctor's book of like drugs that they can use and whether they're natural plant-based substances or not used as medicinal um used for medicinal uh applications <clears throat> excuse me so they use cannabis extracts 1851 is the year it was listed in there yep and taken out in 40 41 it was taken it was still in there in 40, but 41 it was not in the next year. 
In the 1820s, several American medical societies created the first edition of the United States Pharmacopoeia. And until I just had this discussion with Gino, I've never even known the word pharmacopoeia. Right. And I was a journalist for 12 years. So I know right. there's others out there who don't know this, so I want to educate. The purpose was to identify and standardize the till then mostly botanical drugs and medical use. The book dictates the exact formula, parts of the plant, and the exact method of preparation of base drugs for pharmaceutical use. So, whoa. Whoa, Gino. Take it easy, bro. So, a plant that interacts with our physiology the way it does, with the billions upon billions of receptors, pretty much a big fucking deal, folks. Big shout out to cannabis. Between 1850 and 1937, marijuana was widely used in American medical practice for a wide range of ailments. A in, wide range, they say. In How about all ailments. Yeah. In 1851, marijuana is admitted as a recognized medicine in the third edition of the U.S. Pharmacopoeia under the name of Extractum Cannabis or Extractive Hemp enlisted until 1942. Extract of, uh, you don't ex- tell me what to do. Extract of hemp is a powerful narcotic, here meaning sleep producing drug, Yo, causing bro. exhilaration, intoxication. What are you talking about right now? Lulu. What are you talking about right now? The why, why are you marijuana. why are you giving me signs? Oh, because I don't like listening to you chomping in the microphone. It's really annoying, bro. It's really truly annoying, bro. Bro. <laughs> Maybe you don't know anything about the endocannabinoid system, but eating is part of those five functions. You know, eat, sleep, protect, forget, you know, those ones. Yeah, forget's my number one. No, forget is not a negative thing. What are you going to do going to bus and remember everyone that you see in the bus? What do you mean? You're saying, you're saying we're supposed to forget things on purpose? No, not on purpose. Our brain functions that way as a, as a database. You can only store so much. Some people can store more or less. At the end of the day, forgetting is a good thing. When you forget things you don't need to fucking use, if you're not using it, you get rid of it and you put new shit and new information there. And that's what cannabinoids help you do, say something. So maybe a stereotype of people that forget things and people want to blame it on hemp and now maybe it could be just we're supposed to? Bro, I took no notes for four years in school and I'm not that smart. But I, I thought our brains were untapped potential. So like baked out all day. On an untapped potential of memory, I thought. My brain, when you use cannabinoids, your brain's using a higher percentage of your brain function. Therefore, if you're not using it, you're actually going to become brain dead. But how come there's not people brain dead everywhere for, who there never is. use pot? There is. It's called Alzheimer's. Ooh. So you think there's studies out there that show I don't that think. many Alzheimer's patients never use marijuana? I don't, I don't think. I, I take a speculation based on the fact that the billions of receptors in your brain are meant to be interacted with. And if you don't interact with them, they go to fucking shit. So it's just like maybe, so I've been doing triathlons many years, and if I stop using those muscles and then to go out again, it would be well, no, I mean, crazy bad. Some people have endocannabinoid deficiencies beyond their, their knowledge. Like all of us, when we're born, we could be born with a deficiency because we don't have that test. We, don't, we, can't, we can't tell what our deficiencies are. So what I'm saying is that throughout your life, certain things like food and stuff, like again, everyone's like, oh yeah, use cannabis, but then- we run around eating fucking ho-hos all day. You know what I'm saying? And burgers. So maybe it needs to be a whole lifestyle. People it's a whole consider. lifestyle change. You don't really get to see what cannabis in your body can do because cannabinoids actually can fix the DNA, get the DNA cellular development and start to get things fixed. 
And so people with Alzheimer's, their brain's shutting down. And so stimulants, they talk about like coffee and these things and, and tobacco is good for like Alzheimer's patients. Well, yeah, that only does one single thing. It stimulates the brain, but it doesn't have a, a whole neurological function development like cannabinoids do, particularly THC. So, Which just, is the most medicinal cannabinoid, the most important and medicinal cannabinoid in the cannabis plant, period, point blank. Not even, not even up for discussion. CBD is, is more dangerous than THC, and it's not near as medicinal, not near as therapeutic and medicinal at all. So altogether, they're fucking the best. So I'm here to learn from you. So here's my experience, and you can tell me how I did well or did not. So I was a triathlete for 17 years, have been, still continue. Man, what a healthy endocannabinoid system you have. I've done an Ironman, two Boston marathons, five marathons, do pretty well for myself, and I've smoked every day pretty much since I was 16 years old. That's what's up. Injuries, plantar fasciitis one summer, a little bit of tendonitis when I was training for the Ironman, three days. That's it. 17 years. That's gangster. Good for you. And I have no clue what I was doing, why I was doing it. All I know is that after my training, when I w- would catch that little buzz, I would have what I describe as that little buzz, help me sleep. It helped me recover your muscles. Recover. Recover. I would go three months without a day off in the peak of my Ironman training, which we is about get, an 18 month we process. We got to get Shahid Shabazz, the former pilot, my former pilot on here for a podcast. No doubt. By the way, he's a fucking animal with athletics and stuff and cannabis. So, so are you saying that so. accidentally, with what you were just saying before, accidentally, mm-hmm. me having smoked every day really is the reason why I was it's able a supplement- to do that. Like, you know, you're, you, you naturally, or people that, that naturally have, people that have used cannabis from, from the get-go, there's two things you have to look at. Either it's a cultural thing, which that's cool too. So it's something that's always been part of someone's culture. They didn't have to really know like the education behind cannabis. It was just cultural. For like me, it was just very cultural. It's always, in this area, it's pretty cultural through all demographics. And in some more and some less, but it's pretty much all cultural. Then you have people that, that use it medicinally, which is actually very new over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, you know how many different years, um, depending on what country you're from. So what we're doing is we're finding that, well, if this plant runs all the body, all the body systems and functions and can help regulate these to an optimum way, then what's going to happen when you actually clean up your diet? And your food, it takes it to the next level. You're actually, cannabinoids don't have to concentrate on breaking on breaking down animal proteins and dairy in your stomach, which takes weeks and months, sometimes years to do, where you get to more of a plant-based diet and then you start to see people that are really sick, they start to see an evolution in their health. But for you in particular, you could have already been XYZ healthy and the cannabis was a conditioning thing for you where you used it for like these certain things like recovery and relaxion and like, you know, pain and such like that. Whereas otherwise you would have used Tylenol and other harsh drugs. So good for you. But I think my theory is, is that you have a pretty balanced endocannabinoid system. Your, your dad does too. Like all you, all you guys do, it's pretty balanced. And that your cannabis supplementation, it's not only is it cultural and medicinal, but it's, 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 you don't, you're not in need of large, large, large doses but you're not like not using it at all, which tells me in my anecdotal experience, not just based on your consumption, but based on your history, that you have a pretty decent endocannabinoid system. Now, God forbid something can happen to you tomorrow, and so I'm sorry, or me, like right now, bam. 
Mm-hmm. But just based on my own experience, I can you can tell people who have a pretty well balanced. You can see that ninety five year old couple. They they don't use cannabis, but they don't use other drugs either. They have a really like, clean diet. Like they're always holding hands. They look pretty thin. Like these are the people walking around. It's not people that look like average Americans that are overweight and this and that and have diabetes. It's the young. Those people have healthy endocannabinoid systems. You you can't you you have to speculate based on science that if you did a study on them. They don't have too many deficiencies. They're 85 years old. They don't have, they have pain, but they don't, those old timers are not taking stuff like that. So that's their endocannabinoid system. It's not their, it's not their will to be tough. See, cause those people are be druggies. Cause there are old people that are into drugs too. Yeah, of course. But yeah. I'm saying when you run into that couple that you know are natural people, like that's their own endocannabinoid system. They don't need to, there are some people that really don't need to supplement that much at all. Yeah, just natural in them, yeah. Because when you go running, some people are super healthy. They go running and interacts with the endocannabinoid system and, you know, sex and these different things and, you know, sleep and stuff like that. And so, like, there's other ways. Uh, if, you have a, if, you're, if you're excreting five healthy endocannabinoids on your own with a good healthy diet and you got, you know, didn't have limited trauma and stuff like that, you could be good to go and use very limited or none, no cannabis. But then most of us... You know, many, many of us, majority of us have to use some kind of supplementation because we're deficient. So we hate to use numbers, but it's definitely over 90, 95% of us. So you're saying when you have veterans call the VCCF Inc. And yep. uh, they talk to you or your, or your partners and, the, and they're asking for advice. Got to call the hotline, folks. one 844 And when you do, you will have someone there that will help you figure, help you get through uh, and you can explain it's a non-emergency. Much yeah, it's a non-emergency PTSD VA assistance hotline. It's eight four 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 six two four zero zero two. Hit extension zero for me. And what will happen when they call? Describe this situation. We have a we have a social worker slash life coach. Uh, I won't say her name right now just because I don't have her permission. But she takes calls, and the the vice president, and myself. And Jay Cliff, shout out to Jay Cliff, our, our hemp farmer here in Rochester. Big shout out to Jay Cliff. And we'll have him on next week, folks. Yay. Um, so you can call there to get VA assistance and, so, and stuff like that and, and learn about the laws. And that's where I'm, I like, I'm, I'm really holding up on the line. I really talk about cannabis science, horticulture, and legalistic questions. About 95% of our questions are, I live in Texas. I'm 70%. I'm 100%. I want to use cannabis. I have a test coming up, but I don't want to use it because I want to pass a test. Are they going to take my benefits? And, for all you veterans out there, this is a fact. Same fiction. 100% they cannot take your benefits for cannabis consumption no matter what state you're in. They cannot take your monetary or otherwise benefits. What they can take from you is your narcotics, your pain pills, because you signed a pain contract with a narcotic company. So you lose your narcotics. So you got to get over your narcotics to use a cannabis. So that's something that you have to figure out. And then I figured out because I was addicted to opioids as well. So, so describe OD that. three times, dude. And when was OD'd this? in how, Iraq how? once off benzos. It's a whole other discussion. Yeah, I almost died a few times off over-the-counter. And when was the last drugs. time? How long ago? That I OD'd? Yeah. In my brother's truck in 2008 when I first got out during lunch. Took two Dilatins and I thought they were five milligrams. They were 10. And they, they ended up pulling those from the market because they had bad interactions. I woke up in, in the middle, I, I, I passed out. And they said if I kept sleeping, that's where you like your respiration, you, just, you know, you don't wake up. Yeah. Hey, I had a brother that told me he just got off benzos, sleeping pills, just like two, three years ago. And then me and like other door gunners got him fucking addicted. 
because I was a crew chief Huey door gunner and Huey's in Iraq, so it wasn't the most uh, safe fucking thing to do. So when you call, you understand that each person individually is different and you really have to get to the root of it. Correct? Yeah, you know, like like I said, legalistically speaking, like majority of the questions are that like, oh, they're going to pull my license or they're going to pull my benefits. But that's not the case. And then the other questions are like, you know, the CBD, THC thing and like, how do I get a card and which is good or like I'm growing it already or and they have questions and so, you know, we, we get a few calls, you know, a week, you know, we're not, we're not getting blown up because we haven't done much um, distribution or marketing and everything's been very organic about what we're doing. So with the hemp farm. I praise and, you. Thank you. Yeah. Do you know how many veterans that I have talked to uh, in the last several weeks of doing some traveling that had no clue that this option was out there for them? Yeah. I mean, this is. You know, again, like we're going to be able to treat vets and firefighters and other law enforcement officers and nurses and doctors and lawyers that, that are, are other service members, by the way, in some way, shape or form that they're, they're, they're serving, um, you know, other people. So VCCF Inc. is in the hemp farm and our program is all about service men and women. So whether, you know, if you're a firefighter out there or you're a cop, you know, you're, you're still part of that service team because those are people that are that are going above and beyond for whatever reason to do something to serve and help people. You always got 10% of shit somewhere. 10% so, anywhere, guys. Can't blame it on one thing or the other. That kind of goes to my uh, the stereotype <laughs> about the hemp plant that I hate. The stereotype is, cannabis plant. oh, you get high and you just sit on the couch and don't do nothing. I know, right? You're just lazy. Meanwhile, I got veterans that are like pilots for U.S. Airways smoking joints like in between in between flights i know a pilot that was doing that for two years during he had ms and so, so for all you pot smokers yeah. that are sitting on your couch and creating the stereotype this fucking guy was a damn pilot you are lazy whether you have it or not and they, and they kicked him out of the army bro for cocaine and cannabis and he made himself a pilot and was on the fucking team to be an astronaut until his ms fucking crippled him I feel so bad for him. I won't mention his name for conflict of interest and stuff like that, but I had to separate from working with him because a lot of us, we had to think about like our maladies and like our illnesses. Like some people were just not, you know, we're not, we're a non-emergency place. And like in the early on, I was trying to help everyone, help everyone with cannabis. This is real dangerous working with vets like us. Because you know, a lot of different factors to consider. Yeah. When I say dangerous, I'm talking about like emotionally and even physically too, but like your, 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 your family, you could stay, someone can say something online, you could have CCPS and all these people, go, especially we're talking, we're talking cannabis here, but I'm lucky, man. Like law enforcement knows, like I'm a former cop and like, I've always been a rebel and shit. Like wait, 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 I've wait, been wait, raided wait. and shit like that and stuff like that. So, so you, wait a minute. So you were on the streets of Vegas and, as a kid. Uh, and then you were a cop. Oh Yeah. Wait, stealing money out of slot machines, but yeah, make the best cops. You know the military targets fucking urban kids, right? And law enforcement too, of course. Like the kids that made it out of that environment, it's the best cops. You know, the men and women that like make it out of tough circumstances. Same thing with like substance abuse. That's why I do substance abuse counseling, and I go to that stuff like just to talk, just to, just to have conversations with people about it, because former substance abusers are the best. Because now we're all in on health, yo. And if, and if you're really fucked up and shit ain't working out for you and you're not happy and you want to take it a step further, you'll do anything to like increase your uh, your will to be healthy. 
So you'll like someone like me that was like eating like London broils every day, and like I'm talking like extreme eating, like most military members. Like our liver and shit is not working on blast. You know, there's a lot to, there's a lot going behind the military machine that you guys don't know, like the food habits and like some of the ego, and all that stuff is needed. I'm not saying get rid of it, but it's I'm way better health. I'm way healthier now. Like I feel better. Like if I was in the military today, I'd be better operator. I'd be a better gunner. Better in the war zone. I'd be better working with on missions. I'd just be overall better. So you're saying I'd be better about. I want to hurt people. Like all that shit. Like I, we were just ready just to blast anyone. So they basically, you believe the way the structure of oh, just with all food, those, living, oh, with all those drugs just, and everything is—it's basically they're making you a fight, machine. Fight, fight, flight, or freeze. The amygdala—they've done studies in Scandinavia for thirty years on taking CAT scans of the amygdala, and and people that identify with like conservative values or like these nationalist values have large amygdalas. People that don't Amig, omega, omega amygdala, its a part of your brain that controls fight, flight, or freeze. And what happens is we're in that zone where we kind of have to be fight, flight, or freeze, but you probably shouldn't be now that I look back at it in retrospect. That was not a good position. It was a very unhealthy position, actually. If, if I was allowed to consume uh, vaporized cannabis oil during the war like they do in Israel and other countries, they allow their active duty and retire to use cannabis, I would be so much better of a leader. I wouldn't have been a scumbag. I mean, I got my friends hooked on fucking benzos and drugs and shit, like... Because it's we, culture. We were all just hooked up. Hey, it was just like one big, like we weren't really, we didn't know, like we did the best we could, but dude, we're eating like not just one steak, bro. Like we would eat like four or five steaks. Like at a time, like we we never knew we were going to get food if we had to go do a mission. There's a troops in contact. So like some of us frontliner type of air grunts, man, like we were in the front lines when people were getting attacked or getting shot. Like we got sent out on fucking. So so what? So I could be eating a burrito jobs? and then boom, I'm getting called like to fucking front lines. Like I'd be chilling at the Faber base and next you know, we're getting a siren go off and I'm running down the fucking, you know, 99% of the people at our Faber other than the grunts are not doing, you know, they're chilling, they're doing the support stuff and communications and all that crazy jazz. But then the front liners and the operators, you know, we're uh, going up front with the, with so what the, pe- were your with jobs the people. Submarines? What were your, what were your positions? I'm curious. When I first started in 94, um, I was open contract. So I thought I was going to be a grunt, which I, I started at 0300. I went through... Uh, Where'd you go to basic? Yeah, down in Paris Island. <laughs> the only place to go. You fucking kidding me here? Fucking Paris Island, South Carolina. You better get it. You better get... You Ooh, better uh, read about it. You know what I'm saying? Read about it. Um, 94. Graduated in um, October of uh, 94. Boot camp. 1002 was my platoon. Shout out to Alpha Company. The Alpha Assholes. Just kept my mouth shut. Graduated and uh, became open contract. And they said, "Oh, you're not going to be a grunt anymore. You're going to be you're going to be a fucking warehouse supply man." I'm like, "I don't do that shit. I shoot guns." And they sent me to that stupid fucking warehouse school, which actually was kind of cool, being a pogue for a little bit. So I spent time being a pogue, which is a people person other than grunt. I did that for like a year overseas, but I found myself in this position where in Okinawa, '95, I was at Ninth Engineers Battalion. Big shout out to Ninth ESB. And I volunteered to go with Alpha Company and the line company to go blow shit up. So I just had to find my way to like doing typical Marine shit. So I did that for six months. And then, then I went to Paris Island to be an instructor right back to where I came from. What do you mean instructor? What did you, what did you teach? the rest of the grunts, teaching weaponry, you know, smart. Wait, wait, wait. So you went from the warehouse. Then you went out to volunteer for to blow some shit up. With and my then, unit. Yeah. And so then how does that work? Like and my, year deployment ended, my year deployment ended and, and all grunts and like open contract people got get sent to like training battalions. And I got sent to fucking training battalion. Which is cool. 
being around my grunt brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. shooting shit and getting hazed. And, and then um, I finished up there. I went in reserves with the 4th Marine Division for about a year, came back to active duty, became a police officer in the Marine Corps. Everyone's like, boo, fucking call them the Blue Falcons in the Marine Corps. Fucking Blue Falcons. But I was a cool cop. I've never heard of it called Blue Falcons before. Yeah, you have to look that one up. But I wasn't. Um, And I ended up quitting law enforcement later on in my civilian life due to to ethics. Because I'm about community policing. They wanted me to sit in my car and shoot fucking radar and not fucking talk to people. And then they expect not us, not them not to be mad at us. So I've seen videos of you firing hey, uh, a gun out of a helicopter. Like, yeah. where does that fall into all this? Yeah, well, when I, after I was done being a cop, then I got stupider. I worked for NCIS too and shit during the uh, DC sniper case. So I was between the MP. Wait, so you're out looking for him? Yeah, we worked at DC Malvo, Sniper what was Case. His name? Mal, what was the name of that guy? Malvo? What was the guy's name? Yeah, right? Yeah, that was one of them. Um, and we were looking for that guy for a minute. And between that and me doing undercover gigs with NCIS, um, I was pretty busy, but I decided to fucking lap move as a sergeant, you know, already like in, invested into military police and federal law enforcement. And I said, I want to go be a door gunner, dude. Which. At the time, I didn't realize was like you're not just gonna be a door gunner. You're gonna actually have to, have to be smart. You have to go to the school and get your ASVAB up because you're a fucking idiot. So when I once I got my ASVAB up, I passed, and then I went to the school. It took me about a year and a half through the pipeline before I became got my wings. Then you're not even a door gunner until you get to your unit. You have to go through a series of school. It may take you a year or two to become a door gunner. So you get all your you go you go to your, you go to your flight school to learn how to you know drown and swim and shit like that. And and then and then you know your air crew school and uh, and then you, in Pensacola and then you go to mechanic school for the Huey and the Cobra because that was a sixty one seventy four big shout out to six one seven four um, and then you have to go to flight school for how many months or years it could take you a year you could be in flight school for a fucking year because you're not as advanced or something happens but I did seven months six seven months I graduated the first person out of my class and um, which is good for a retread for someone who's older like competing with these young kids yo. Now, how old are you at this well, point? Well, at the time, I'm like late 20s, like early 30s. Mm-hmm. Like I'm 28, 29, you know, going 30, you know, right before the and war. You're really, I you're turned really 30 going... in the war in 2005. So okay. I got, I got, I graduated and then became a door gunner in Iraq, got my qualifications like in the red zone in 2005. I deployed with uh, OF3, OF4, 5, and 6. So, but there were two deployments. So we crossed over missions between OF3 and 4 and 5 and 6 between 2005 and 2007 and that's where i was a huey door gunner crew chief where we tested broke plant broke planes down to fucking like legos put them back together test them on the ground and then i my dumb ass and other people jump in, in those things and fucking flew them around after they were just looking like legos a few days ago and i would jump in the front seat of cobras and hueys on a daily basis do you like helicopters that was the best job in the world i had when i'd come into work especially when you're fully qualified you can pretty much do anything um, with your qualifications. So you're you basically arrogantly, own the helicopter. You're, you're, yeah, you're like you're like the plane captain, and you're like, and you, and I was a collateral duty inspector, and soon to be QAR. So I was like, pretty much before I got hurt, I was pretty much good to go, like as far as like seniority and flying and fixing, and so I, I could, I go going to work and look at the flight schedule, like come in whenever I want, pretty much if based on flight schedule. But then I would, because I was me, who I was, I always came in every day, regardless. I mean, you kind of had to, but like you could get away with certain times, mm-hmm. but we didn't have like poke hours. Like we, you always were working. 
So we're at work 14, 15, 16, 17 hours a day, just like grunts. Yeah. So you're sleeping, eating, or at, at Oh yeah. You're barbecuing there. Like you're doing shit. If you're in a, if you're doing a maintenance overhaul or an uh, A phase or B phase. How many people are on these teams? Um, it varies in the units. Uh, one, six, seven in particular, we took like, we took like a total of like a thousand people to include support. Now, mind you, there's maybe only like 30 to 50 crew chief slash door gunners people for the whole unit. That's called like, like that's including people that are not really true door gunners or crew chiefs, but they come on as aerial gunners and stuff or people that can fly because we're so down on numbers. Anywhere from 30 to 50. I mean, it could be more. It could be have 100. It depends on your, you know, your, your unit. So you have like, where you have like the grunts, where you have a couple thousand people or a couple hundred people, and then everyone back in the rear with that unit is 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 supporting them. It's the same thing with like the Hueys and Cobras. We're like, we're the attack people, so we're like the grunts of the air wing. So we're out there with the guns, the missiles, the backup machine guns, the rockets, you know, the, you know what I'm saying? Like the, mm-hmm. the big guns and shit, you know what I'm saying? So of all, so... It was that? Did that take you to the end? Because I, I yeah, heard your last I got, OD I got, was like yeah, a year I got, later. I got right? hurt. I got hurt. Um, in, in combat in a yeah, mission. Yeah, yeah. I, got, I um, well, a few different times. Um, I was in a hard landing, and we all walked away from it. That's why I'm still here. But um, I did suffer. Like years later, I found out that I suffered minor concussion and like minor TBI as a result of um, of not only the stress but hitting my head. Which at the time it didn't hurt because when you go through stress you don't feel that shit. Um, I didn't feel it till like a couple of days later, but I did. It didn't really hurt. I don't explain it with adrenaline, because you know I didn't hit it hard. It was just like the concussion of me doing that. Hmm. I was so happy because we had a guy in the middle of the seat that just got blown up by an IED that day. It was bleeding all fucking over us, and he thought we we came in. Here's a here's a short story. No, please make it long. M- myself, myself, JC. Shout out to Alexander. You know who you are. He said that day, Gino, are you ready to die? Early in the morning, he said, he said, Gino, are you ready to die? Now, this is a motherfucker that, crazy motherfucker. I can't even explain the stories to you about this guy because it's, it's beyond reproach. But I was working for him because he was senior. And even though I was higher in rank and stuff, he, uh, I worked for him. And he was one of my mentors. And he told me one day out of nowhere, like he always used to fuck with everyone. He's like, today, Gino, we're going to fucking die. So get ready. And he, and he really thought that way. No shit. Like, we get delayed in KV one day. It's hot as fuck. We got two Cobra pilots that want to fucking get it ride with us. Now, when you're an attack platform, you don't want fucking people in your aircraft, dude. You just don't want people in there, man. You're on to missions and shit. Like, it fucks shit up. It's like people having your F-16, dude. Like, oh, I got more weight. You know, like, I got a seat. Like, nah. I only make two seats or one seat in that bitch. So we get kind of really protective. We had two corporate pilots and we had a fucking stitch bitch. Big shout out to my gunny, man. He's the guy that stitched up our flight uniform, but him and like 400 pounds worth of equipment um, in our fucking Huey. Now remember, we got personal M4s, side pistols, backup Egress 240 Deltas with a minimum of two to 500 rounds. And we got 550 cal rounds and three to 5,000 minigun 762 rounds for our minigun and four people. Now we got one guy bleeding in the center training seat because the fucking Kazavak couldn't take him. We're not Kazavak normally. We fucking run and gun and shoot and protect people and do all that mission shit. Recon, like all that shit. We did all that shit. So we don't really do Kazavak, especially with the, the old November, just to have enough power. It just wasn't our platform. We fucking run and gun and blew people the fuck up. Not, I don't mean to say it like that, but that's what our platform was to shoot, run and gun, protect, you know, do these certain things. It, it, you know, it wasn't to go pick people up, but we did sometimes. 
Um, but we, we were coming back, we were getting ready to take off with all this weight. And so we had to, we had to freaking sit there and burn like 600 pounds on the, on the, on the ground. You talk about fuel, you had to burn fuel Yeah, we had to burn fuel. To get lighter. Because our NG can't go past like 95, 98.5 for so, a certain So because you had a couple guys in there, you're burning off fuel on the Yeah, and all that shit. So we, we burned off 600 pounds and we, were, we, were, we pulled for power to check and we were like, uh, that one engine's not looking too good. And kind of find out that that was the one. But, I'm a, but, but pause. So we're like, okay. We're all like, all right, we're good to go. We'll go. Because you wanted to get the fuck back. This guy was bleeding. This Lance Corporal got hit. Like the, the army got dogs, couldn't take him. We're like, let's take this guy back. JC's like, let's fuck it. Let's do it. Bro, don't you know we hit the fucking Hesco Berry. We skid it. Like we didn't hit it like hard. Like the, the crash didn't happen then. We fucking skid that bitch. Now this Hesco Berry is only eight feet, 10 feet off the ground. Like we barely made it over the Hesco Berry. What's a Hesco Berry? A Hesco Berry. H-E-S-K-O. It's a, what stops bullets and bombs, hopefully. Oh, it's like most the barriers. Time cement barriers. The barriers. Okay, well, it's not cement, you. but yeah. Yeah, we, they're barriers. Get, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 people okay. know what they are. Yeah. Um, we have a whole fucking podcast about those. Um, how great they are. <laughs> Big shout out to fucking Hesco for saving most of our lives. But, um, but um, so we're on our way back to uh, our main base from the FOB. Big shout out to KV. We're at FOB KV. We're going back. That engine's fucking working, bro. We go all this weight. We're like, fuck. We're pulling hella fucking bad NG. It's about an hour flight. Hour and 20 minutes, depending on the headwind. Don't you know, we're about, no kidding, like three miles from home field. Maybe four miles. No, five miles at this point. And they're like, all right, we're going to climb to about 1,000 or 1,500 AG to get comms because we're about five miles out from home base. It was pretty normal to do that. Because we were way too low at that point for everything. Because we weren't on that mission. And I remember going up there. And then we went back down to go in a short final in the last couple, two, three miles. And eventually in short final. And as we were in short final, coming over the fucking medical pad in Al-Assad, Iraq, and Anbar province, western western Iraq. Um, We were at about... 300 feet AGL and I heard it's not like we're getting shot at. Now we very well could have got shot at. We got shot at every fucking day coming and leaving the base. So we were looking around for Bedouins or anyone that might have been shooting at us come to find out. It's called the fucking it's called a uh, an engine your engine your engine just went. Oh your engine blew on you. It's called Yeah it's called a compressor bleed air valve just went. And for all you Huey heads out there and Cobra heads know what a com- the old compressor bleed air valves, how they, they kill people and cause people to, to, to die or get hurt. So at about 300 feet, we looked at the gauges and we heard that noise. And before I could say, oh, fuck, we lost the number one engine. We were in an emergency fucking landing to do a fucking auto rotation, a straight on auto. Like we were dying. So, so, so like, we're going to die. Like we fell out of the sky, like goddamn fucking rocks. How far? Like fucking 200 feet. He slid it in. Shout out to major. I'll pull his name up in a minute. Cause I love him so much. Um, him and uh, another major that was from the fucking squadron headquarters that didn't have much time at Ward. But thank goodness he was fucking really good pilot. We had two fucking majors up front with a lot of experience. They made that slide down look like something out of the movies. We fucking hit the ground. We fucking bounced. We went on our side. We thought I thought that was it. I'm like, oh fuck, that's it. But first, the bounce scared the fuck out of me. Then we went on our fucking side, so like I could see the fucking ground. But oh shit! And then he straightened it out. And it was, it was like straight. It was like one of these like boom. 
And we slid perfect for like 75 yards on this pad, like something out of the movies. And don't you know the Lance Corporal's like, we're getting ready, to, you know, we're still at 100, 100 RPMs or 100 NR for the rotor head so we can get this guy the fuck out of our plane. Don't you know he does some stupid Vietnam shit? He's like, hey, Staff Sergeant, that was really fucking cool what we just did. Because he had no idea he just fucking died almost twice in one day. Like we just fucking crash landed and slid, bitch. Like, I said, you're a stupid motherfucker. We just did a crash slide, slide and land, you dumb fuck. Get the fuck out of my rotor wash. And I sent his ass in the fucking, in the outside place. And he's like, sorry, Steph, sorry. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And got him the fuck out of there. And um, and then I hugged Major Baggett. Baggett, that's his name. Baggett. Love you, Baggett. Love you. Really do love you. Saved his life. Wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to make any of these babies that I made. Three more, Three more babies. So, so that was my first interaction with like near death. And then it happened many other times after that, like different th- scenarios. But the one that ended it was me rescuing a guy in my second deployment, doing things that we weren't supposed to do, breaking international, federal, SOCOM fucking orders. You fucking name it, like the president. So is, this, is this classified or can you talk about oh, it? I can talk about you got it now. me. I'm ready to hear oh, this I, one. Come I, on. I can talk about it. I've been holding all that story. Shit. Come on. I want to hear oh, it. Oh, well, the, the media did a really good job because the, remember, the, the United States military media does an excellent job on not telling the, the fucking you guys what's going on. Congratulations. <laughs> Big shout out to our media and the military. Yay. Yay. Where's the Where's our engineer guy at? That's a real, yeah. We need, we need, we need, we need more of that. Mm. What the fuck is he doing? Is he need another Wake dad? Up, Jay. Jay Pesamonte. Welcome to the Hempletic Podcast. There is a podcast going on out here. But, um, fucking, what was I going to say? Fuck. Jay Pesamonte. Pesamonte is Latin, Latin boy. Um, so, what was I saying? Back was, to the most important most story important of the thing. day. Well, not the most important. It's no, just, the, it's, no, it's pretty, yes. it's epic in the sense of like, this is not coming from an egotistical place. Like if I would have told you this years ago, which I probably wouldn't have told you because I didn't tell anybody. It wouldn't have been coming from a place of like humility and like gratefulness. Because I'm actually like, it may seem like he's like, oh, people will be listening to me. Oh, he sounds kind of conditioned and excited, like in a way of like talking about it. Because I'm fucking grateful. I'm a fucking live motherfucker. Like, so I was already the complacency kills. All your Marines out there know what the fuck that means. So when you get comfortable, even if you're a post office guy, absolutely and we you're dropping off today. fucking shit you get complacent you may you may end up dying or get hurt that day or or make a mistake you lose your money lose your, lose your vagina easy. lose your yeah. penis you may lose your people in your life bro big shout out to my fucking lgbtq people there's been a lot of postal stories officially everybody i've never heard of a guy losing For penis sure. on the job you could no but you could like no but you could you know no but really so for me it, it comes from a place of grace and like humility but that day, like I was already like this very like eager to, like you have to be cocky to do what we did. Like any grunt out there knows what I'm talking about. Like we weren't cocky, like, oh man, I'm the man. Like you just got shit done and you just did it like arrogantly in a way that was like, you just ran, like there was Lance Corporals, Corporals like talking like grown CEOs, like about what they had to do. Like, you don't, you don't understand like war makes you grown. Like it makes you like this very grown man and woman in a, in a very strange way. So I was already like, I was only 30, 31 at the time, so I'm still a kid, but I'm on my second deployment. You get cocky a little bit in a different way. And I'm in charge of 95 people at this point. So I'm, I, the first deployment, I'm, I, I got promoted to staff sergeant, but I'm a, I'm a fucking nugget. Now I'm coming back with all my claws and I'm running the shop with other staff sergeants. So I have influence. And that influence, I cause a lot of people to get hurt psychologically and, 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 and probably, who knows, sometimes people may have got hurt 
otherwise. But on this day, my second deployment, it caused my deployment to come short. I went home about three, four weeks early because we took it upon ourselves that day in August, I believe it was, 2006, we were out there um, patrolling, doing a, uh, a convoy escort. So we just get grunts or support people and we protect them to and from their bases or we do missions with them and shit. Well, we got pulled off that mission, which is a general mission that's added to like the street, the, 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 the list every day, but it could be a fucking bad day. But most of those days are pretty decent. You're looking for IEDs and stuff like that and just getting people to and from places safely. So we were on the second crew that day and we got pulled off that mission for an emergency because the other people were doing like other troops and contacts, some other serious shit. So the main crew couldn't go do this. They needed us to do it. And we heard a plane that's down right outside a hit. And um, we get there and unbeknownst to the world for the first time, that plane was not that helicopter was blown up by an IED. What? That's right. Wait a minute, wait a minute. IED's on the ground, isn't it? I, I, I'm so, not military, but... This is why they kept it secret for all those years. And hey, who knows? Maybe I'm fucking violating some shit now. I don't give a fuck. But it's pretty simple. We can look it up, man. Like, when you do troops insertions and shit, like, it's not... It's <laughs> You're in someone else's territory. Imagine us, like, sitting out here right now because we know the area mm -hmm. and, and we watch some helicopter or plane or, or, or truck truckers come in every day we're like what the fuck are they doing so 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 terrorists or people just there remember most people were fighting weren't even terrorists they're just wanting this the fuck out of there mm -hmm. like we would too i would i would be setting up ieds all over this place if i had people trying to kill me you have i, I would have done you? the same thing they did i, I would have done the same exact thing as I, most iraqis did like not the ones that were involved in the terrorist groups but the ones that were there that got implemented to end that war via terrorist people or just from like Straight up, you're like taking survival, just survival, survival. yeah, right. Like so, they, that was how they had to do to survive. They had to be a part yeah, of something. Back then, to I was too sick yeah. to understand and did for for good reasons. But anyways, that day, they didn't televise that. Oh, by the way, a fucking a helicopter hit a fucking IED. But they were doing. We always did insertions, training, and real ones. So they were watching us for fucking months and years, bro. It was bound to happen, bro. The guy got hit in the neck and stuff. He lost a lot of blood, and the react team. They didn't cost the F-18 above head. We're there for like an hour. This guy's bleeding like really bad. They finally got under control. Everyone else got speckled, but that one guy got hit really bad. The, the, the crew chief, he's a medic. And big shout out to, well, I'm not going to say any names right now, but um, um, big shout out to Dustoff. You know who you are. Um, but um, they're the ones that do what we did. <laughs> they're the people that go in there and do the crazy rescues because they got fucking badass helicopters to do that. At the time, we didn't have the, 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 the Yankee, Huey, the, the UH-1 Yankee. So they refused us to go in and get that guy. And they said that, that QRF would be there. Come to find out, QRF didn't show up to five and a half, six hours later. He only had a few hours anyways, based on his blood loss. We were up, we had to go back and get fuel and come back. We were there for like two hours, had to go get fuel, come back, like an hour and a half. We came back and, and the QRAP was still like, fuck you. By that time... The what? The QRAP? Uh, Q quick, quick reaction for us. By that time, the F-18s located four more IEDs under the plane. They were out walking around the plane. The, so and there was four There was on fucking the four more underneath the aircraft, bro. Like the F-18 has a lightning pod. They saw the fucking 
Italian. They, they had a what? A what? They saw the anti-tick mines. No, a lagging pot? What, what? It's called a lightning pot. Oh, a lightning pot. I got you. Oh, uh, that's the, what the things you see it's, underneath the it's, planes. Or... It's, it's more than, when I say this, because a lot of stuff's confidential, that stuff is, but when I say this, like it's more than just like a laser. How okay. about that? How about that? I got you. Yeah. Um, anyways, it was like, yo, they were like, yo, Tord. <laughs> we were talking about rescue. They're like, uh... Those guys were like, no, no. And they're like, just like lieutenants or majors and captains. Like, no, nah, that's not a good idea. We call back to the battle captain. Battle captain's like, no, you're not going to go rescue that guy. There's three, four anti, you know, anti-tank mines in there. Because as a former ground guy and stuff, I'm like, yo, I'll just get out and put them, I'll fucking. So, so let me, I'll, 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 I'll clarify I'll, Well, hold on. I'll run that yeah. fucking hill and I'll fucking put them in the fucking, what do you call that damn move? The fireman's the fire. There you go. The fireman's. The I was getting the Peterman's cow. I was thinking of Peterman's because I'm a wrestler. Yeah. Fireman's <laughs> but my question is, I want to validate because I'm a little confused. So there's one the guy right now in a helicopter that is downed by an IED at this point. That's yeah, yeah. What he got he about, got right? hit in the neck. Uh, everybody arm, else got like, out of there. So just well, one they're not guy. out of there. They're fucking trapped in this. Fucking oh, so how many of them are trapped? No, there's four yeah, of them. So there's four of them trapped, and there's one. Now, mind you, the people ba- the people ahead. that do this, they they were now now this is where I'm getting to the key part here where we got really stupid. Not very smart, you know. I may have to take a dab for this, but no, hold on. First time ever told to the world. It's kind of a big deal. So, Marines, I don't care if you're a PFC with fucking two days or you're a staff sergeant like me with fucking 13 years. I don't get a fucking gold fucking star for doing what I did, just as a caveat. In the Marine Corps, for all your Marines out there, you already know it's your fucking job, so you don't, you don't, Heroism is not identified through medals or actions. It's identified through through people's principles and actions and what they do as a person. So before before anyone's speculating and kind of like war heroism stuff, like that's 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 a that's something that everyone does. Like anyone would have done what I'm getting ready to tell you, they would have done. Like that's what I'm trying to tell you. Like most any Marine would have done exactly what myself and Samir Alassini did. And Clint Marshall, aka Captain. And my boy fucking, we'd call him Lieutenant Dan, but he wasn't Lieutenant Dan. I'm losing his name right now, which he's a really good friend of mine. I should know his fucking name. Um, we can't remember everything. Well, no, I, I definitely know his name. Yeah, just I'm pulling this out of the data bank that has been stored for a very long time. So I think I'm doing pretty good. I think it's phenomenal. Nelson. It's almost like uh, I, you, had me on my, you had me on the edge of my seat. So anyways, so we're flying around. This guy, battle captain says, fuck that. There's fucking three anti-tank mines on there. Your fucking asses ain't denied. We must have called it in like, no kidding, like 12 times. Denied, denied, denied. Going into the second hour, we were getting close to bingo. Bingo means, guess what, dingo dango? Your fucking aircraft's out of fuel and you got to get, like you got to leave to get back to base. Because if you don't during bingo... During that time where you have fuel, like you're not gonna make it back, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get the crash, or you're gonna have to land somewhere in the middle of the desert. Cause it's not a fucking game, it's real life. Mm-hmm. So we're getting close to losing fucking like five to seven minutes left, folks, of gas. Now at this time, everyone in the battle cap so battle you're in a helicopter hovering now? We're flying around looking for bad guys, protecting these people, making sure they're good to go, waiting for QRF. QRF fucking take their sweet up time because 
Big shout out to Mike Hero after too busy doing other shit. Yeah, there was, it wasn't. But this is super important. No, this is super important, but there's a really fucking war going on out there. Like, this wasn't the only event. So basically, you're in the capacity this is the heat of the war, protecting, guys. You're protecting the crash We're site. We're talking about 30, 40, 50 fucking people dying a month at this point. Like to IDs and like firefights. We're talking about the 2005, 2006, 2007. The heat fucking of the heart of the fucking war. That's right. It wasn't, I mean, big shout out to my 2003, 2004 brothers and sisters, but it got fucking heavy in 05, 06, 07. But anyways. So just to paint the picture, everybody, because I love the story. You are hovering above. We're not a hovering, crash bro, because we were hovering. We could shut no, the fuck down. No, I know, but you're. So you're we're flying around, around, right? Yep. And we're, we're trying to get approval. And so eventually what pushed us to do something was. The, the chief one officer was like, yo, Torrid, our batteries are going dead and this guy is starting to laugh and go into shock. You can't get that blood back. It takes two weeks, five weeks, fun week you know, to get blood back, three months, you know, depending on how much you lose, unless you get transfusions. So, mm-hmm. so if you lose a certain amount of blood, like you only get a certain time, okay? You could live. Let's not like the movies. Everyone's like, oh yeah, he bled out. Like, yeah, you can bleed out. Absolutely. But you can bleed a lot of blood and then there's a time frame in which you have to get to the hospital or it's it for you. But you can make it five, six, seven, eight hours, but after a certain time, it's a no bueno. The blood's not going to help you. Like there's a, I don't know what that medical terminology is. People know what I'm talking about. But there's a time there where you got, like you lose a certain amount of blood, like you got to get blood into you. Well, this guy started to go in what, a shock where he started laughing, crying, like going through, and that what that means, he's getting close. Like he's got to get rescued. So the, so the guy's like, Hey, Torrid, what, what's, what's the deal? He's like, what's, they're like, what's the deal? Can you, can you guys, I know, I know you guys asked, can you guys, can you, can you, can you do something like unorthodox? Like, can you guys like, can you make any kind of rescue? Like hover over this aircraft, come down, get them. We're like, listen, we've been trying to ask. And everyone, like the battle captain goes all up to the CG. The CG gets permission from the general of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the area. Then that general gets permission from the, the general and that, and that whole country. So this went all the way up to like the higher. They said, no bueno, sir, you have to wait for QRF. Don't fucking do it. That's an order, son. Not like that, of course. So we're flying around more and this guy calls up and says, hey, this guy's not doing good, man. So Clint, fucking love Clint, man. This guy was like, they thought he was a square because he was so by the book. But when we were in combat, like in missions, this guy was a f- he was like the most controlled, like I trusted him. Like he was the most sane, controlled, like dynamic pilot, like one of the best pilots like ever to fly an aircraft. Like he was so like, he was so introverty and so like weird and like rude, but he was nice. It was very weird. People couldn't figure him out. He was so good at his job. He wasn't good at social things. So people didn't like him, mm-hmm. but we had a bond, especially that day. He fucking looks at me. I'll never forget for dead. I, <clears throat> he says, I mean, we got, we got, we got five, 10 minutes most for gas at this point. And he's like, Gino, he's like, staff sergeant D. He looks at me now. He, he, he looks past the sergeant that's flying longer than me, but doesn't have much quals and much experience. And then he's, or actually more experience. Samira Asinli had more experience than me in flying, but I was the senior guy because I was a certified cruise chief, but he had a lot of experience. He bypassed Samira Asinli, which I thought was strange. And then went bypass lieutenant, which I thought was strange again, because he's a second in command. He says, Staff Sergeant T, what do you want to do? I said, you know what? This is my exact words. No, no bullshit, no cap. I said, you know what I want to do, sir? Let's go fucking get him. 
Just like that. Alicini, not but a fucking millisecond later, says, ready for the smoke on the left? Popping smoke on the left. We fucking went in there, bro. We said, fuck you motherfuckers, bro. QRF, my fucking Latin, African, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean ass bitch. And Samir Alicini is Syrian fucking white dude, so big shout out to my brother. Big shout out to Clint Marshall, my crazy Alaskan fucking Native American brother. And my... My Caucasian brother. So how many were on the on your? We chopper? fucking did. We were just brothers, bro. We said fuck it, dude. Like no shit. Like we you like just all it, did it. We and so this is what we did because <laughs> it wasn't planned out. Like you don't fucking hover over mine. We thought that we honestly thought it was like a 50-50 shot. Because I, I I took it in my head for a minute when he asked me what do you want to do, and I said and I, I paused for just like a a second or two, and. During that second or two of pausing, I was like, all right, one or two things are going to happen right now, baby. We're going to hover over this fucking, this aircraft. And they're going to be a mile or two away and they're going to detonate that motherfucker and we're done. So that's what's going to happen. Like it's a 50-50 shot at this point. Like we all knew that. We talked about it. Like before we made the rescue, like we did something. Like you know we're about to get fucking either blown up or do something special. What I mean by special is like the event. Because mm-hmm. remember, you can take anyone. If you were in that plane, you would have done it with no, tr- with no experience. No, of course, yeah. Because that's just the human nature to want to help people. But we're a little different. <laughs> Marines are a little more conditioned than the average person. Mm-hmm. But people in the military in general, and, and, and I would even bear to say most of my civilian brothers and sisters would probably want to help people. But, but more importantly, like with that experience with the desert, we were like, you know, we have sand and the... the, the, the blackout experience with the sand and stuff and whiting out and stuff with the sand so there's all kinds of things that you know we didn't we wouldn't you don't train for that well you do but you don't so we went in there and lo and behold like this aircraft didn't have uh a, a rotor brake to stop from their rotor blade from spinning around so we got my genius ass tried hanging out that bitch with a fucking my gunner's belt and another gunner's belt to get this big, huge, like larger fucking badass guy like up in my aircraft. And as we got down there, like I was dangling down to go get him. And as we got close to the rotor head, it started spinning. He's on it fucking spinning. We're like, this guy's fucking, I already had a bad enough day. He's about to fall off this fucking aircraft. So we pulled back. We said, that doesn't work. We said, what are we going to do, though? We got to fucking, at this point, we're, we got to get him. We're in, like, ground effect, too, so it's a real dangerous place. Like, we had to get out, bro, and, like, go around and come back again, which gives the enemy a whole fucking other setup, son. So you got you the first three guys out dude. at this no, point? No, no, oh, listen. You're just, yeah, no, the one guy's in question here. Everyone else can fucking wait to QRF, son. Guys, you just want to get him like, out. I don't mean you're disrespectful. We no, would love to get all of them out because they're no, all at risk. I'm just clarifying because I want to make but sure. But the imminent, no, thank you. The imminent risk was getting this fucking guy the fuck out of there because, remember, don't. He was already healed up, like, and all he bandaged up, but he can only go so long where he go into, like, I think it's called aphylactic shock or some kind of shock, mm-hmm. which he was already going through. And so... It's yeah. called, it's called hypholemic shock. There it is. It's it H-Y-P-O-V-O-L- There it is. E-M-I-C. I apologize. <laughs> I can't save. No, don't worry about it. So we had to fucking go out, man, and do a turnaround and come back around, bro, and pop more smoke. And... uh I don't know if he popped smoke at the time or got winds, but I mean, <laughs> this time it was different. Like, I, I, I put the fucking gunner's belt away. I said, I'm just going to, 
I just got to dangle out and get this fucking guy. And I'm on, at this time, I'm a little bigger. I'm like 140, 150 pounds. So I'm like 130 now. I'm a little fucking guy, bro. I'm a pretty strong guy for my size. But when you've got adrenaline kick in, like you can like move a fucking shit. That's true. Because what I'm about to tell you, Samir, big shout out to my boy. Um, he, uh, he's much bigger than me and much stronger. So he helped out at the last, you know, like during it, but the adrenaline was kicking in so hard. So we come in to shoot the second time. And this time we said, they're just going to deal with the, the rotor rush. And we want to get them quick before it starts to spin. Cause we noticed that it took a, you know, a good like 30 seconds for it to spin. So we can get them quick. We can fucking get his ass and go mm -hmm. before it moves, before it fucking moves quicker. So mm -hmm. he's, so we go down there and like my adrenaline, bro, like, Bro, I got him by his 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 uh his belt, and I felt like I was like Mohammed, Jesus Christ, bro, like pew, like I have power, like whoosh, or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Something power came over you. Like between him and like my my homeboy pu pushing me too, and I heard him as we picked them up even more. He hit all the our guns and all our shit because we're shooters. Yeah, you got all we got fucking shit and laying around yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. We don't usually do this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, your protection. And and. The aircraft's not meant for that. It's not laid out for that shit. And I, we heard him coming in even more with all his fucking arm and shit. And then my dumbass is not a medic, so I'm going into a little bit of fucking fucking onset PTSD and shock, and I'm starting to bandage this fucking guy up, which I probably shouldn't have been bandaged his fucking hand. Like, it, it by no means am I ever going to be graphic to people. Like People can figure out from themselves, but... Like you should, I should have not have been putting a bandage around a wound like that. Like some wounds you got to keep open, but I, I understand what I was trying to do. I reheard him as he was coming in. There's a reason why he didn't have bandage on that, on that one arm in the first place, you know, <laughs> he had in other parts of his arm, but I'm not a fucking medic, man. I'm a fucking shooter, you know, yep. at, the, at the time. So, yeah. Um, so I end up like, you know, going into a little bit of a weirdness and like, tell him, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And like, I was bandaging the guy up and he's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And he was screaming. Like after we heard him, like the fucking guy was screaming. Um, and we took him back and about, we found out he made it. He was made, so far. He's, you know, he was in stable condition. He was doing good. Like he got the blood transfusions in time. Kind of find out QRF came, came about, uh, about three, four hours after. Uh, so we were there for almost three hours. So, so he, he, he wouldn't have made he it. He wouldn't have made it. He was done. He wouldn't have made it. And our own unit at the time was motherfucking us and wanted to give us a page 11 and wanted to, uh, page 11, the captain, uh, captain Clint Marshall and he'll, and he'll, he can, he can actually, if I ever get him on the podcast and we ever talk, get him on here one day, maybe he might, I don't know what his scope is in life, but he'll tell you the truth. What I'm telling you is the truth. Like they actually wanted to at one point, now check this out about irony that day. They're like, don't ever do that shit again. That was fucking stupid. And then they tried to high five us the same time. Right. Because we made, we ended up making the right decision. But he, but the, the colonel and all those people like, were motherfucking us because they weren't involved, and people have big egos, and they were threatening to to, to page eleven and, and 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 fuck with the pilot in charge and, and me. The the second senior guy, the staff, the staff and CEO uh, with the quals in the in the plane, as well the both the pilots, and lo and behold, the kind of like. A couple of days later, it turned into like them, like all of a sudden they're very upset still, but kind of changing their mind a little bit. But then like day five of like everyone, like maybe day five or day 10, like between the first, yeah, it was between the first week, 
between the first and second week, and maybe it was a little closer, but between five and 10 days, we became, we heard the words, and I it annoyed the shit out of us, hero so many times from our peers, we couldn't kind of understand what they were thinking because we had so much adrenaline and shit, even like the, a week or two after, like we didn't care. We're like, oh, stop talking to me about that shit. Like it was actually really annoying. But because they heard it so much, because um, we heard it so much, the higher ups started to actually like kind of believe it because it was true. And then the, that that thing started to phase a little bit is whether or not, you know, is Captain Marshall going to get in trouble? Da, da, da. Well, what fucking was the straw that broke, broke the camel's back, so to speak, was the major and the master guns from their army came over and was like, came right to our shop and was like, where the fuck are my heroes at? With fucking medals. Like, like they said that if, if we, they weren't leaving country, they would have put us in, you know, for like you know, a V and like other things for what we did, but they had to get it done quick. And it was hard to get the department of the army and the president to sign the, the, the army com for, for our rescue. But like for Marines to get a medal from another service is like super prestigious per se. But at the time we're not really thinking about that shit. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden we get the medal. They have, you know, we have a formation and stuff and all of a sudden the same cocksuckers and same people that were beating you up for two weeks. Yeah. Beating us up for five days or seven. It wasn't two weeks. Yeah, it was definitely it, smaller sorry, than that. Just no, no, still. it was because of me because of you know, the time frame. you were thinking it was a long time, but it was like five, six days. Um, they uh, totally jumped ship and all of a sudden, you know, we, we were the heroes and they they felt kind of like, let's put them in for a bronze star or a silver star. So they put us in for a silver star and then it got like downgraded to a bronze star. We're like, dude, we don't give a fuck anyways. Like our, 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 our captain was trying to put us in for it and we didn't care about that shit, but the Marine Corps was trying to make up with the medal because the army was boom. Here's a fucking medal for. Yeah. So they're trying to piggyback and they fucking like put on there. Like this motherfucker struck an IED. They fucking rescued my boy. Like they, the army wasn't, they weren't hiding it. They weren't hiding it. Now the, 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 the TV people in the media for good reasons, good reason back then, not to tell people that that's what's could, could go on. No, because you want to give the other side ammo. Yeah. man. So I respect that's that good shit though. Yeah, but it the saves same you, t- right? It protects you. Yeah. But we got to know though, like what I learned about prohibition like information's powerful and when you share it with the public, believe it or not, you actually can get more on your enemy because they'll talk. That's true. So like Facebook and Twitter and all those things are actually the best thing that ever happened to um, the uh, intelligence agencies in the United States military, believe it or not. Because now we we can track, yo, we can know what fucking Lance Corporal Buttfuck is doing. He's on fucking Facebook. She's on Facebook checking in and fucking putting <laughs> shit on Twitter. Like when I was a young jarhead, bro, we didn't have shit like that, son. We could hide all kinds of shit. It's a way better, like people won't admit it right now to me. Like, yeah, this guy's full of shit. It's a way better Marine Corps, I bet. Like way worse in some aspects for sure. But people in command and certain things, like it has a lot. The military's about progress. Like we use like solar and we're like all about the hip technology and shit. Don't be fooled like by the military industrial complex. They're, they're all about making money. That's funny. So they nobody thinks about that. They love that shit. Yeah, that's right. But but those mines that cost only a few hundred bucks, or maybe you know a couple dozen, a couple dozen dollars, you know would have destroyed you know, you know a couple planes. One plane worth you know seven ten million, and the other one worth like you know fifteen million. Just a little idea. And then and then the pilots are both you know like anywhere from like three to five to ten million, depending on you know on their their level of 
training and a crew chief's a good million or two and then your AO is a good million. It just depends on your qualifications, like how much money they get into you. You know what I'm saying? So so my, th- first of all, thank you for sharing that story with us. I, I, yeah, I appreciate it. For I, sure. The first time you've told it to the world like that and you, yeah, you're man, so very I'm, smooth, not emotional. Like you, you, It's impressive. No, I've talked about the story before, obviously because I've went through a lot of therapy. Mm-hmm. And not just over that, but like just over the everyday. Everyone's like, and this is what a lot of grunts, a lot of like forward, forward uh, people in the front lines and stuff, and people that have come to MOSs, they kind of, they kind of go through the same thing where they're asked all the time, "Hey yo, dude, what was the? What'd you see over there? Like, what'd you do? Like, so the VA does the same thing when they ask you questions, like, "Oh, what was the three things that you think gave you PTSD?" It's like, yo, bro, <laughs> for seven, eight months straight, maybe a year straight, sometimes. It's on the front front lines every day, seeing shit blow up, seeing shit go down. Like, what story do you like? Not to be egotistical, it's so like gut wrenching. Like, like my brain can't mm-hmm. process stupidity like that, especially back then. Now I can, but it's like, are you serious right now? Like, and I, now I understand why they ask questions. But the life of a door gunner, bro, like in the Marine Corps, is like there's no other job. Like we're intelligence one day, like snooping on you and shit, doing a hit and raid. Next minute, we're fucking in your shit. Like it's a real devastating. Like it's a much needed unit. There's only about anywhere from like you know a couple hundred of these people in country. You know, like I'm not giving out stuff. Just, mm-hmm. There's not yeah. that many of us. Yeah, so, not to give out like numbers and shit. That was stupid. But so don't quote me in the numbers. But there's not too many of us, especially in the Marine Corps, doing what we're doing. Like the Army and the Air Force, they have particular jobs in the aircraft. What they do with the Marine Corps, it's different. When you're mm-hmm. a Huey guy, like, or a Huey girl, because you can be combat MOS, you can be whatever gender. Um, between pilots, now grunts too, like combat MOS is now are open to all genders, which is the best thing that ever happened to the military. Opening up to women? Oh my God. And back when I was a misogynist scumbag and I was sick and I was a crazy, like, wild man that I like, was like so fucking super hyper hella ignorant I knew deep down inside that it was a good thing but I was like such a such a fucking what do you call that corporate fucking sellout so to speak and very so, sick so you were against it well originally. when you're cannab- when you're cannabinoid deficient you're using drugs so if you the, my theory is and we're I'm a, hopefully you know be able to build a thesis on it one day if you don't use cannabis you use drugs if you don't consume cannabis you're going to use some kind of drugs like it, it just is what it is. Even if you're a good, quote unquote, good person, you're not doing anything bad. It doesn't matter. If you don't consume cannabis in your life, you're going to use some drugs, whether it's an aspirin, whether it's a narcotic, something like stimulant. Benzo. And we can we can define. So let's talk about one of the biggest problems in the country. That's a great point. So let's talk yeah. about obesity. Yeah, which is a fucking so drug problem. Let's talk about. I would love to see studies to see how many people that are obese that are abusers or of diabetes. Marijuana. Uh, marijuana or or uh, diabetes yeah or diabetes yeah too and these age related or these illnesses that are caused by like i said age related or or um caused by what we call you know everyday human health you know honestly growth is perpetual all the time we're always fucking growing um so i don't i don't consider myself like oh man i'm healed like i'm the best ever like we, you're always still going to have problems, but my sobriety and, and using cannabis and not using drugs. Um, and I know it sounds oxymoron out there for people, for people to, to hear that, but you know, you can make anything a drug, right? You can take an apple and like, you can eat like 40 apples or 20 apples a day. It's probably not, it's not good for your stomach. 
Yeah, it's just not good for you. It's, it's, it's a drug. Like literally, you'll be shitting. Like it's not good for you. So you're to, saying you, if you ate just too many apples or, or any food in excess. Yeah, I mean, shout out to all my vegan brothers and sisters. I support you, but guess what? It's silly when you when you, when you don't understand what drugs are. Like the most number one drug problem is our food. And so that causes more illness and death and stuff. And so all, all the service members out there, men and women and stuff, and everyone else in between, like remember that cannabinoids or like working out and yoga and being this and that, that only takes a certain percentage and accountability of what our overall optimum health could be. If you optimize that to eating more, more, um, not even call it health foods, when you eat, when you eat medicine, like when you eat, cause plants are medicine. So when you, when you only, when you reframe eating meat either totally, or you have it every once in a while, you're better off. Like if you go all the way and don't get it. That'll be a heavily debated subject. Well, it's not even, really honestly, it's not even, really honestly, it's not even going to be a debate more as it's going to be a discussion on whether or not you want to use a little bit of that drug or use a lot of it. See what I'm saying? Yeah, whatever like, it is. That's right. Yeah, like, the, 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 like, but with cannabinoids, there's a special caveat to that though. Again, we can abuse cannabis and use drugs too at the same time and still use cannabis as a drug per se because we just don't understand why we're using it what it's about, how much we're using. So you can use even cannabis as a per se, a drug per se, psychologically and stuff like that, like your mannerisms. Mm -hmm. But it's not the cannabis that's the problem. It's your discipline? It's the mannerisms. It's our druggy mannerisms. Most people that are using cannabis exclusively, most of those people don't use drugs. Like they don't, you don't hear them popping pills. Like it's only if they got sick or real bad, like me, or like it's, you gotta get your tooth. When they did the Novocaine, it was the first time I ever had a real, real drug in my mouth in nine years and I was sweating, it was fucking horrible. Mm -hmm. And they only shot that thing in my mouth. But he, they thought it was all normal. I was fucking not well, folks. I mean, they needed to do it. They needed to fucking drill my had shit. To do it to get so I'm food. a sensible fucking Rastafarian and fucking vegan plant-based person. I'm not one of these fucking idiots that's going to be out there and be like, let's not use any. No disrespect to my fucking hippie brothers and sisters, but I'm. most of us are like educated about that stuff when it comes to like... A lot of the hippies back then, they weren't really like college or high school. Like they weren't really educated on life in general. They're just trapped. Good and much respect to them. But fast forward, me and you are the more modern day hippies that have education and, you know, we have an understanding. So the debate about whether or not eating meat or not is like really not so much the debate is that if you lower the amount of that substance, you're going to do fucking extremely better. And if you're, and that's just a science, like it's not even like up for debate. And if you go the step further and you don't have to unless you want to. If you go a step further and you're called to eat nothing but plants because you feel really good when you don't consume animals, then good for fucking you. The problem is where people get pushy in anything. Like if you don't like baseball, people are sick of hearing you talk about baseball all the time. Right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you know, veganism or whatever isms and schisms and schemes are not good. I don't, I use that word veganism or isms and very sparingly. Even though I don't, I don't identify, but I identify because it, it separates us as humans. I mean, we're working with a cattle farmer that 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 does that raises their own animals, but it's not factory that they live for many many years. Like I can't not work with them to to push our hemp farm and working with people and educating them about plant based diet if I'm not working with people that don't have it. So what vegans, a lot of them do, no, no disrespect folks, but we're gonna have a podcast exclusively on veganism or plant-based diets. All we're gonna talk about for two or three hours. 
So I won't take up any more the time about it, but it's it's a big wedge between us because people like glorify their health and how they're doing, and they they we do more segregation than working. For instance, we're working with people that use harm reduction products or do certain things. We shouldn't work with them instead of working against them, and that's where Hempletic and VCCF and our other supporting companies and not for profits, and the you find. Uh, folks out there are going to, you know, want to support us in the future because unity comes not by identity politics or by what shirt you wear or what skin tone you identify with. It's homo sapiens coming together with different ethnic groups, religions, cultures, but we all have one thing in common that we're all homo sapiens. We're all these ape-like figures that try to act like we're, we're demanding or like so much more special than a dog or or a pig or, or a rat or anybody. We all cause harm, even the vegans. So like it's about harm reduction. And I think once the message gets out there that people can like make it their own decisions whether or not they want to contribute to animal agriculture and those kind of things. If they want to do what like what like what Joe does. You know, Joe Rogan, he he he, he will eat meat, but he eats it because he hunts it. I kind of fucking respect that. From a vegan perspective, I... Yeah, it's a perspective of, I know where it's been, I know what it's eating, and, and some of the best Well, it's meats not under fear right are, before you kill you know, it. Like, that, that animal most of the time doesn't know that an arrow was coming its way. That's right. So you don't have all those hormones at last second going into the animal. Amen. That's beyond the, the fact everybody. that they, Right. Beyond the fact... And this is like... This is the biggest difference between factories... What he's talking yeah. about here is is... <clears throat> You getting a bison that was eating grass out in fields in Yellowstone. And not hormones and, and antibiotics and, and shit. That bison had no clue that a hunter came up on him and took him down, which means that bison didn't release any hormones of fear and trying to get well, away did, from prodding. Well, it did, just not what it would do outside its normal parameters. Because we all, we all produce hormones when we die. You know, and, and in factory farming, what you end up having is... Months is, and years built up of fear. And then they get thrown into this hopper. They know what's happening. Nobody comes out. And there is so much bad stuff going on in their bodies. And it's coming. And again, like like, we'll go into that later on in another podcast about just eating animal proteins and dairies and stuff in general, like the casomorphines and dairy products where it's an opioid compound that works with the opioid system. So casomorphines are all dairy and all um, dairy products. And that molecule actually works with the opioid receptor system. And so if you have an opioid addiction or have some kind of substance abuse problem and you're out there drinking dairy and eating um, dairy products, you're going to have a hard time getting off any kind of substances, more importantly, narcotics, because you're interacting with a product that, that interacts with, with, with opioids. And so that addiction is, it parallels, our, our diet and food health parallels substance abuse. We oftentimes think of like, oh, he looks good. He just came back from a marathon, but he or he, she's running. She just ran. Oh, she looks good. Well, she's about to go home and eat a fucking London broil. How is that going to work out? Statistics show that we die of cardiovascular disease more than anything in this world and heart disease. And you don't get heart disease from eating beans and rice and apples. So so when we have this discussion, this debate that that uh, Brian talks about, it's actually going to be more of a educational experience mm-hmm. than it will be a debate, I assure you. Because debating is for two people arguing because they don't, want to have a conversation and they're knuckleheads. But high level functioning people that are using their endocannabinoid system, most of us can have high functional debates or these discussions 
without making it debatable, we can kind of learn from each other. You don't have to. You don't no have to emotion. Say, yeah. You know, well, it doesn't matter about the emotion. You don't have to say, "Oh yeah, you know what, dude, I'm going to do it tomorrow." Yeah. Or this is my opinion, and you are wrong. You suck. Why so I'm about harm reduction, baby. Like, man, if you can reduce your amount, great. If you become a vegan like me, because it took me four or five years to reduce my amount. Like you don't, it's like it's a drug. You don't quit it overnight. It's impractical to say you're going to stop eating bacon tomorrow after you've been eating it for thirty years. It's like saying you're going to get off cocaine or coffee. Like it just that's not that's not practical. So you got to reduce the amount of consumption, and don't and you don't want to shock your body because for all you vegans out there, your body can go can go into shock. Especially if you, I was like thirty something years deep into like American diet, folks. So like you just can't go overnight. So there's some things we'll talk about that you'll be surprised to hear. Like, and at the end of the day, people can make their own informed decisions, and that's what we're here for. Like, we're we're like salt and pepper, you know. Brian's salt. And, White uh, is salt, baby. Except when that and, sun comes out. That's right. And he's a little older too. And uh, and I'm the pepper, and I'm a little more, you know, like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give it to you like in a different perspective that you'd more traditionally hear things, especially when you hear that word substance abuse, and you try to put cannabis in there. Um, because cannabis is going to actually an exit substance is going to keep you from using these harsh substances. So Thanks we actually pro- we actually promote daily cannabis therapies versus an occasional drug use. It's like an occasionally like I'll stick a fucking needle in a balloon like that bitch is going to pop, son. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like okay, I'm not going to eat meat on Monday or Tuesdays. Or Thursdays, but I am. I'm gonna fuck with some wings on Friday. So we we will continually talk like, about the like. What's wrong with that, baby? Properties you know what I'm saying? I got, you know what Gino's saying. Hey, hey, like I said, I, I'm a, I'm doing Beyond Burgers on Monday. I'm doing fucking you know bean burger. I'm doing bean burritos and rice and beans and squash on Tuesday. But on Thursday and Friday, I'm gonna have a festivity, and we're gonna eat a lamb chop. Not me because I'm a vegan and plant person. But I'm saying like for all my brothers and sisters out there that want to get healthier, like start reducing it. And then you make the informed decision after months and years how you feel based on your reduction. And if you just so happen to make a decision that like you feel really good without the animals and that you just have it every once in a while, well, then the vegans can get their little panties up in a bunch if every once in a while you you eat some meat. Because if you can reduce your meat consumption out of 365 days to fucking 300 or 250... You're a fucking winner. And so the healthy debate comes, folks. Well, I mean, my you're, primary diet you're just is a meat. So my primary diet is meat, and I take a seed nutrition in the morning. I fast till he 11 o'clock, and I eat I like meat. I eat meat. Meat. I love meat. I love good, healthy meat. Not factory. He says good, healthy meat. We'll have a like discussion. My, my, my we'll brother's discussion in the room about what right good, now. healthy meat is. My though. brother, Christian Butch Lane, is in the room, and he is an avid hunter, and my favorite meals are his venison that he brings over. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, I used to I used to fuck with the venison sausage back in the day, bro. And all so, that stuff. so folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode today. We're going to end it off. One of the things we're going to do every episode is do a little fact fiction or the jury is still out. Yeah. We want to educate people on this plant. We want to educate them on CBD, THC. We want you to know when that plant gets put on the ground and Gino is stepping on it with his feet, what stuff is going to come out of that plant and why <laughs> and how. And so we're going to end this podcast with a couple little points uh, of an article that I found, the title of the article, and I know Gino loves this stuff, is The Forgotten History of Hemp Cultivation in America. Okay, so I'm just going to tell a couple quick stories, Facts. and I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. So the first one, the British colonies compelled by law to grow hemp. What? Yes. Hemp arrived in colonial America with the Puritans in the form of seed for planting and as fiber in the lines, sails, and caulking of the Mayflower. The Mayflower was made of hemp. 
America was built on hemp. What do we understand this, folks? On a racist boat. On a racist boat. British sailing vessels were never without a store of hemp seed. The ancient lands. And Britain's colonies were compelled by law to grow hemp. Yes. Hemp was the fiber of choice for maritime uses because of its natural decay resistance and its adaptability to cultivation. But yeah, we're not allowed to grow in this country for anything. We are now. Each warship and merchant vessel required miles of hemp and line and tons of hemp and canvas, which meant the crown's hunger for the commodity was great. Ship captains were ordered to disseminate hemp seed widely to provide fiber wherever repairs might be needed in distant lands. And what is canvas in Greek? It means cannabis. Means cannabis. Cannabis means cannabis. So if you have if you have canvas shoes, you have a canvas that you're painting on, you pay respect to the industrial cannabis plant that we call hemp. Amen, brother. One more story, and then we will let you all stew, and we will be back fact, next week. What happened to the fact fiction? Was that a fact? That was that was a fact. So I'm going to end this podcast on one more fact of forgotten hemp culture. Missouri, Illinois, and Kentucky farmers key in 19th century hemp industry. Hemp crops quickly spread and arrived in Kentucky with settlers from Virginia just prior to the Revolutionary War, according to a 1919 article in the Kentucky Agriculture Experiment Station Bulletin Number 22. Shout out to my Kentucky hemp farmers. Yeah, baby. These settlers set the stage for what would become one of the most important and long-standing hemp industries in America. Carson Nation, shout out. Kentucky hemp farmer. Along with Missouri and Illinois, Kentucky farmers produced most American hemp until the late 1800s when demand for sailcloth and cordage began to wane as steamships dominated the seas. Big shout out to Alvin down there in KY. But that's a lot of shout outs. We had a lot of shout outs. I'm going I'm, I'm to lose my voice. I got a lot of shout outs. By the end of the Civil War, Kentucky was the only state with a significant hemp industry until World War One, and that state remained the nation's leading producer of hemp seed. Amen. I never do Who's that. that. Kentucky. Right. So there you are. We have the facts. We have some benefits. We have a story from Gino. He has never told to the world. Yeah, I mean that honestly, like that was the introductory about me, man. Like obviously that was very quick. And I appreciate it. And we'll be interviewing Brian as well, getting like a showcase on him for one of the podcasts and doing a all about Brian and no, we won't bore you. Don't worry, that won't happen. No, we're definitely doing it. And 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 again, we'll go back and forth, you know, in our podcast about ourselves. We have a lot of stories. Like there's a lot of people. Like I said, we you know we have his brother that'll be helping out with the team. So you know, we got plenty of stories and a bunch of you know really good content for all you folks out there. So you know, we look forward to the future. You know what I'm saying? So before I I bid adieu, I just want to thank all my postal brethren out. In America, which is one of the biggest companies, employers in the United States, USPS. I, I wish you all well as I leave you and know that you will always be my blood. I am an eagle, USPS eagle to the end. And the cannabis hemp plant is the future. And VCC, I think, stole them. Yeah, sorry, USPS. See you later, USPS. We love you. Have, have a great day, folks. We'll see you next Friday. The next podcast will be our weekly podcast. We will have a format and be done every Friday. We'll be posting on Podbean. This is episode one, huh? Episode one, baby, wow. in the books. Unreal. Thank you. Peace. <laughs>